Hey folks, my name is Andy Sido, and welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is Lafayette, Colorado-based singer, songwriter, and pianist, Pamela Makala. I don't like saying pianist. I'm a pianist. I don't know. Can, can you say pianist? Is that incorrect? I don't know. Anyway, I said pianist this time. And <laughs> that is only one of the things to describe my guest, Pamela Makala. We met uh, through dueling pianos at Howl at the Moon. I was done there. Um, I, I trained there, but never really uh, never really became a full-time player. And she was a full-time player there, and we met through our roommate, my roommate, Kevin, who was still playing there. Anyway, um, she's a wonderful singer-songwriter, musician, and her songs are very, um, oh, I, are, they're more complex than your average singer-songwriter in a really nice and musical way. It's, it's intriguing to listen to. There's chord changes that you don't hear in every song. And, and I love that. As a, as a musician, listening to music, I love that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it's also very commercially accessible at the same time. It's, it, she really bridges the gap between um, commercially accessible, but also something a little different, something, um, something a little different for your ears. We all need a little something different for our ears after listening to the radio, right? Anyway, we have a wonderful conversation. I'm going to keep this monologue pretty short today. Um, it's approaching break time for me. I do this every year. I mean, I put out the podcast every week. And every year I take a break for a few weeks. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to do it, but it's coming up because after, I don't know, after a year, I always get this little bit of fatigue because it's a lot of work. I absolutely love doing this podcast, um, 82 episodes in and I'm not slowing down, but I get that fatigue of, of just scheduling the interview, doing the interview, editing it for uh, a short snippet for radio, editing it for this podcast, um, you know, it's, it's a process. And so, um, here in the next few weeks, I'll probably be taking a break for a few weeks just to rejuvenate. And always after the break, I'm like back on it, um, better than ever, ready, rearing to go, but it's a busy summer and I'm thankful for the work. Um, you know, there was, there's been tons and tons of podcast time the last year with everything going on. And, I'm really busy again, which is awesome. I, I just got to go make this record with Anders Osborne in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana last week. I'm doing a, a Dirty 30 baseball tour. I'm turning 30, and I'm going to baseball games on all my off days. Uh, between August 19th and September 12th, um, let's see. The I'm, I'm going to head out to, to Kerrville Folk Fest this year. I'm playing Dripping Springs Songwriter Festival in October as well uh, near Austin. So it's busy. It's busy, and I love that. I'm so thankful for it. But a break is coming, a little breather. And um, then, yeah, but there will at least be a couple more episodes before that happens. So anyway, I'm going to start off uh, with a quick thanks to our sponsors, and then we're going to hear a track off of Pamela's newest release, Something Simple, and then we'll jump into the interview. Oh, one last thing, if you're still there. Uh, we had a little bit of audio trouble through part of this interview, and I think it was on my end. Um, and so I interrupt her a couple times because uh, I start speaking, and there was like a little bit of a delay. 
So anyway, that happens a couple times. My apologies. That's all. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. Big thanks to Patrick at PQ Mastering for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. For any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. And big shout out to Patrick. He's been with me since the very first episode of this podcast. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. I'll leave you alone now. I won't call anymore. I'll leave you alone now. I won't linger by your door. I won't tap on your window. I won't light up your phone. I'll think of you every day, but I'll leave you alone. I hope that all your cats are healthy. I hope they've still got eight lives left to spare. I hope you had a great vacation. Nothing but window seats and salty ocean air. I hope that work is busy in a good way. Cause I know that you love what you do. I hope that when you outside at night those lucky stars are thankful for the view and I'll leave you alone now I won't call anymore I'll leave you alone now I won't linger by your door I won't tap on your window I won't light up your phone think of you every day, but I'll leave you alone. I hope the chair across from you is not empty. I hope it's filled by someone new. Someone who writes you beautiful songs. Someone you're proud to belong to And I really hope that you can forgive me For the selfish way that I behaved Maybe one day looking back Looking back at the bumps that
Pamela, what's happening? Hey, Andy, how's it going? I'm, I'm going, it's going well, I should say. How's things going with you? Things are great. Yeah, it's summertime, gigs are back. I am just feeling grateful for all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was trying to, we were just talking about the last time we saw each other. And it, did, was it at a show, did we go to a show in Boulder, a group of us, like two years ago? I think it's maybe been that long or something. That sounds likely. Either that or helping you guys move out of Kevin's house. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. That might have been it. <laughs> we needed lots of help for that. <laughs> that was a project. That's how you find out who your real friends are, is who helped you. <laughs> uh, well, so to start off, you put out an album um, last year, but we all know what happened last year. You just had the CD release show like a couple weeks ago. Um, so talk about that process a little bit and how were you able to keep things fresh for yourself and the audience doing a release show a year later? You know, it sort of was a blessing in disguise because typically when you record an album and you have been in the studio for however long playing these songs and listening to them back five million times, you can get really fatigued and tired of them. But because that whole process had happened, I think we started working on the record in fall of 2018. And then with one thing and another, I got married in 2019. There were just things kept getting pushed back and back and back. And finally by the spring of like February of 2020, um, we got things mastered and then we all know what happened in March. And so I had been planning to do like a spring 2020 release and that didn't happen. And then as the spring turned into the summer and it was clear that the pandemic was going to last for a while longer and who knows how long that would be. I just decided to go ahead with a fall release and basically just, you know, release it digitally, do a live stream show at the time on the day of the release. And I was just ready to get it out and move on to the next thing. Um, yeah. But then this summer, uh, I, I'd had such a prolonged break from performing the 12 songs on the album live. And it, it was really fresh for me again. And I think that came through in the show and you know, the audience, those who were there who knew the tunes were like singing along. And that was fun because they'd, they'd already had, you know, the CD or the recordings available to them for like half a year. Yeah. And I had sort of had this like break. And so I, I, came, I came to the show with a lot of energy. And I think that was really fun. Yeah. And I, when I guess it was a little less than a year, right? Because it came out in October, something simple came out in October. So you had, I don't know, it was nine months or something, mm -hmm. but it's still a long time. It was like, yeah, it came out at the end of October. So yeah, I guess it would have been like eight or nine months in July. And so it's nice you had that break and everything was refreshed. Now, before you actually released it or before you were getting ready to release it, were you playing all those songs live? like since you first started recording the album in 2018? I mean, had you been playing some of these songs out for two, three years? Absolutely, yeah. With yeah. the exception of maybe 
a few that were written closer to the recording date or that I, there's one song, the last song on the album, Ain't It Grand, that I hardly ever play live because it really needs harmonies like the whole way through. Um, yeah. So I, with the exception of the, you know, the newer couple songs and I mean, some of these songs are, I wrote as far back as like 2015. So wow. for the most part, I've been playing them out for years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so the break was much needed. Maybe. <laughs> the break was really nice as it, as it turned out. I get sick of playing so many of my songs. <laughs> um, but it's part of the job, right? Yeah. Yep. It is. It's a, it's a blessing to be able to do in the first place. But, um, so now that it's out and you've done the release party, I mean, what's, what's happening now? Are you booking stuff? Are you playing live? Are you getting into some other things? I, I feel like all of my musician friends came to some realizations during COVID, um, about their career, about what they want to do. And you know, what, what has that been for you? Absolutely. I feel that. I think there's been, there have been existential crises and reckonings of like, am I really in this? Do I want to keep doing this? And the answer is always yes. I, I'm in too deep to get out now. <laughs> is it overwhelming? Yes. Or has there been some, uh, I don't know. Like the return of live gigs or just like the, the past year of COVID? Well, when you were saying having some questions about if what if you want to keep doing it and you're saying you're in too deep um, and the answer is always yes. Is it, an, is it an overwhelming yes or has there been times where you've thought about other things? Oh, it's it's an overwhelming yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's but they're they're all both, I guess. There also have definitely been times where I've thought maybe I should go back to school and be an accountant or yeah. these, these are conversations I've had with David before that, like, that's my husband. Um, and certainly had over the past, the course of the past year, especially sort of the first couple of months in the pandemic. I mean, you know, it was such a shock to go from, I have my whole spring booked out to, lose like having 80% of my income just disappear overnight. Yeah. And I was sort of like reeling from that for a while and just, yeah, thinking about maybe there's a better way. And I think it, it is over, it's always an overwhelming yes. It's, I, my mind always calls, can we swear on your podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mind always it. calls bullshit. Yeah. Because like, girl, you know, you're not going to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I always, I always come back to it. And what is ideal for you? I mean, we all have a definition of success, right? Whether it's selling out Red Rocks or getting a huge, you know, sync license deal or whatever. What if you were your version of success that you picture where you want to get to in the music industry, what does that look like? Selling out Red Rocks would be 
high on the list. Yeah. Opening a show for Sarah Bareilles. Mm. Also on the list. Yeah. Um. Yeah, getting getting at least one, but hopefully multiple sync placements for sure on the list. Um, yeah, there, I think there is certain like sort of social media and Spotify numbers that I have in my head, but honestly, those, I go back and forth with what those actually mean and how sometimes they are kind of like empty markers of what we're actually doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially just hearing stories about how much of that can be bought or faked or like. Right. Um, I think the times when I feel most successful just in the way of in the definition of like the thing that I'm doing is working and doing what I intend it to yeah is when someone comes up to me after a show and says wow I really related like I'm going through that right now mm. um and your song just like made me cry and made me feel and like thank you for sharing that yeah those moments are and I, I always tell whoever has given me that comment, like, thank you. Like you are, you are helping me continue to do this because if I know that there is someone else benefiting on the other side, like that's, that's really the goal. I, I think there's so many songs and songwriters that have like been such an important part of my life and have their specific songs that have like walked me through all these hard times. And I come to think of them almost as like old friends that I can like yeah. turn to. And right. I, I want to pay that forward. Like that's, that might not be exactly the reason I write songs, but it's definitely the reason I release songs. Yeah. Like in hopes that, and perform, you know, in hopes that I can like give someone else like a friend to be there, like, yeah. or to like chill to while they're smoking a blunt in the car or whatever. Yeah, like. totally, <laughs> totally. You can be that friend too. Yeah. Um, is there a couple songs that come to mind? And I don't mean to put you on the spot if you're like, uh, I don't know, but is there a couple songs that come to mind that were that companion for you that you, you know, growing up where you thought, man, that like, I want to be a musician because of that song, because it makes me feel such and such a way. Totally. Absolutely. Well, the first, the first person and set of songs I should talk about is definitely Sarah Bareilles because I had this come to Jesus moment with the first time the, it was the first split second of the first of the intro of love song. Mm. I, this was like, it was like January 7th of 2007, I believe. And I was studying abroad. I you was know like the very, day that you first heard her. 
It was literally the, like, I would know the day. Wow. It was like a fucking bolt of lightning. Wow. I was like studying abroad in this new country and like very like lonely away from home and my friends and trolling the internet. At that point, I was, I was hitting up CD Baby to find new music. That's how long ago this was. Oh my gosh. And so I somehow like got onto her page and there were like so many glowing reviews. I was like, I want to check this girl out, go to her website. It was, I think it was in the days of like music auto playing on websites, which now is such a no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like, it was a love song and I was just like, Oh my God, this is like the sound in my head. And I, I often think about that feeling of like, glorious despair because I'm so like overjoyed that the music that I want to hear and want to make is like already out there. But then it's like someone's already done it. Like, yeah. oh shit, she already did everything I wanted to do so well. Yeah. And I think in that, off that first group of songs, this was even like before her first major label album, Little Voice came out but there were like three singles out or they were on her website or whatever. And Gravity was like a really big one in yeah. that initial discovery of her catalog. Yeah. Um, there was another song that I specifically remember through like through some hard relationship stuff, Wings of Forgiveness by India Ari. Yeah. It's a really big one. Sure. Um, she's another like, she, I would say she's another sort of like massive singer songwriter idol of mine. Um, there's certain people that like, anytime they put out new music, I'm like on it, but they, yeah, yeah. you know, other folks, it's like, I'll listen as I get the opportunity. Um, and I think, there's something like it's sort of I sometimes I think of it in a similar way to watching reruns of like a sitcom where you know and love all the characters like watching yeah. The Office for like the fifth time. Right. And it's there's a sense of comfort because you like you know what to expect and like you've like you sort of feel like you're part of the gang and mm -hmm. that's that's the feeling I get like listening back to these songs that I've just spent so much time with over the course of like half my life yeah yeah so let's jump back a little bit when did you first get into music not not just these writers and you know singer songwriters that you love but when did you first start playing so I grew up in a family of professional classical musicians. Um, my parents like met at Juilliard. My grandparents met at Juilliard. It's like a whole thing. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. hardcore. It's hardcore. So I don't remember starting to play the piano or learning to read music but it was around the time I was five. I actually played the violin was my first instrument. I played it for a year when I was four. And I have a twin brother who is like a kick-ass violinist. He actually plays on, on the one album. Of the, 
tracks on the album. Um, so he stayed with the violin. And when I was five, I switched to piano. But it's for me, it's just like I've always played. Like, I don't have conscious memory of like starting to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I always sang too. I was such a Disney kid. I was really into the Disney songs and musical theater as a child. And I think I was always singing, but that piece of the puzzle sort of didn't get as much focus as like the piano for the first yeah. many years of life. Um, I was strictly classical till I was 17 and went to college. And I actually studied piano with my mom till then, which really? was like, which was interesting. It was really cool. Um, I don't think it always works with like the parent child music teacher relationship. Right. But I was a pretty like easygoing, obedient child. And so it like worked out well. Well, I mean, was it, I mean, was it weekly lessons Tuesday at three o'clock kind of thing? I mean, how does that work with your mom? No, it, I think for a while, like we always sort of tried, that was the goal, but it definitely wasn't like that. It was like, right. I think there were times where we'd go like several weeks with no lesson, but she would be in the kitchen, like chopping carrots for dinner and she'd hear me practicing and she'd be like, F sharp. <laughs> so there was sort of this supervision like there was sort of more supervised practice yeah and fewer regular lessons but we definitely like we still had lessons yeah um i think it was just a little bit looser and more more flexible than the traditional and that worked for you that worked for you i know I, I probably plenty of kids that would not work but it was a good arrangement it worked yeah and i always I always kind of liked practicing, which I think is also not as like less common with like younger kids. Um, yeah. It wasn't until I did all sorts of other sort of like musical activities through school. Like I played, I actually played viola. I went back to the strings for one year in fourth grade played trumpet in fifth grade. And then I started euphonium in sixth grade and played that all through like middle school and high school. Yeah. And I start, I got into like musical theater also starting like middle. I mean, I had been a fan for years, but started performing it more like middle school and high school. And I did like choir and madrigals and all that stuff at school. Yeah. And then yeah it makes Sorry, me go ahead there was there was somebody on the podcast a, f a few months back alec ryan and i'm trying to remember the exact story I know alec yeah he he played piano and i think his parents stayed out of it sort of as a kid like I, i'm trying to remember if he studied with somebody else or whatever but then when he went to college his one of his parents was like the head of the classical piano department. The other one was the head of the jazz piano department. So in college, he had to study with his parents. And I thought that was fascinating. But um, to go back to this whole family uh, thing and the Juilliard thing, I mean, is there any stories of your grandparents meeting at Juilliard or your parents meeting at Juilliard and, you know, this the whole 
the whole tie there. I'm interested in that. I've heard the stories of my parents meeting. I think they met at a bank and like my dad said hi to my mom and was like, I like, oh, you're so-and-so. I like your playing. Like he had heard her play before. Um, Very flirtatious. I don't flirtatious. know if I've actually heard the story of how my grandparents met. I got to yeah. ask my mom about that. Huh. <laughs> but... I've heard a lot more stories about my grandfather's career because he was actually like a, he was part of a really successful and famous like two piano team in the 60s and 70s called Ferranti and Teicher. Mm. And they played like a bunch of movie themes and like sort of easy listening, but two piano orchestral versions. Yeah. Um, so I grew up hearing a lot of lore about like his time on the road and like the time he like they played at the White House and met like JFK or something <laughs> like wow. there's a lot of like cool stories from his career. So being a musician was not ever out of the question for you. I mean, you didn't grow up thinking that that was an unrealistic thing to do. So I grew up with this really interesting set of mixed messages. I grew up in a house where everyone just practiced their instrument all the time. Like my dad's like in the basement practicing his French horn. My mom's upstairs practicing piano. Like my brother's in the bedroom practicing violin. Like it was just like part of the daily routine and the air that we breathed. But my parents were always telling us don't become a musician. It's a terrible way to make a living. So growing up, I'm like, okay, it's sort of this conflicting thing of like kids learn to value what their parents value and do and love. And so yeah. we were like growing up with those values, but also like being discouraged from like doing it professionally. So I always, I very much knew it was like an option for a job, which I think a lot of people don't ever think that about being a musician if they don't like know any professional musicians. But I never, growing up, I didn't think I was going to be a professional musician. Like, hmm. I think I sort of, it was a combination of like, I knew I didn't have, by like middle school, I knew I wasn't going the classical piano route because it's so competitive and you have to practice for so many hours a day. And I just like, I was like, I don't want to like be sitting yeah. in the practice room, like doing that for eight hours a day. Like I have too many other interests. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think the singer songwriter bug did not bite until college. And when that, when that came upon me, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I feel like I've, I've found this thing that I really feel a way about and maybe I can like turn that into a job somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so as the singer songwriter thing comes about, I mean, let's, let's talk about your songwriting a little bit. Um, with the musical background that you have, your songs aren't like I'm, you know, G, D, E minor, C over and over again and put some lyrics over it. There's a lot of thought and intricacies in the music, right? With Without even the lyrics. When you write, do you think about 
what emotion the chords have together? I mean, how how much do you compose as opposed to write lyrics over a, a progression? For sure, I think a lot about the emotional impact the chords bring. And I would say it's it feels closer to composing most of the time. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of songwriting is like that the interaction of all the elements towards a common goal and yeah. how can I like what lyric is going to like best serve the melody and what chord is going to best serve the lyric and like we're all trying to communicate this thing yeah yeah and who are some songwriters that that do that really well for you I mean that comp really compose their songs I've already mentioned Sarah Bareilles and India Ari. Definitely up there, the top of the list. Joni Mitchell is another fave. Um, do you know Theo Katzman from Wolfpack? Yeah. Obsessed with him. I think he does that cool. so well. Um, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. I, I like a lot of like 70s singer-songwriters like Carole King and James Taylor. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, and you were telling me, too, that you've sort of gotten into sync licensing a little bit and and you've been doing some engineering. I mean, what does everything look like going forward? Are you wanting to tour on this album for a little while? Are you ready to record something else? Um, are you writing to prompts? What's What's happening now with things? So going forward, I sort of am feeling that my, my music career sort of has these, is like a tree with three branches. And there's the branch that actually pays me. <laughs> yes. Which is dueling piano gigs. Yeah. Um, that's actually how we know each other, I think. That is how we know each originally, other. Originally, because I... Yeah, from through Howl at the Moon in Denver and that whole circuit of folks. Yeah. And those gigs are so much fun. It's it's just sort of this high energy, like different personality type thing that is a really nice counterpart to the singer songwriter sort of more quiet, yeah. like lyric focused shows. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that is like that maybe maybe that should be even the trunk because financially it keeps me stable. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then the second branch is continuing to like work on my original project and write the songs that I that are really like meaningful to me and telling my story and you know the sort of like deep intimate songs and I have been writing a ton over the past year and a half. I think I'm likely not going to tour on this past album. I'm going to like, I've done some touring in the past and I don't love it. I have to say I'm a little bit more of a homebody and I'm not saying I will never tour again. But I think my focus has been more in like other places over the last three to five years. Yeah. 
and trying to sort of reach new audiences through other means. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, it's sort of interesting now looking at this like batch of new songs I have from the past year and a half and thinking about potential themes and also thinking like, what if I just produce and record an album myself? Like that could be pretty sweet. Yeah. And that sort of leads to branch number three, which is getting more into sync licensing and just like learning so much about that whole world and trying to write some very different songs than the ones I usually write. Yeah. Getting... So my, my, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say my, my sweet spot tempo wise is typically 60 to 90. <laughs> Like yeah. very much mid-tempo vibes. And in the sync world, I feel like they want at the slowest, like 104 and up. Mm. And so trying to just kind of play around with these, with writing like club bangers, which is something I've like never done, but I'm like, can I do it? It's kind of fun. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that, that whole that whole thing of sort of building out a modest home studio and learning more about production and recording is that's been really cool. And I, I also think that I, I intend to like continue writing for sync and to be pitching and pursuing those opportunities going forward. And also hopefully like being able to apply those new skills to like, recording my own sort of more personal music. Yeah. Yeah. And for sync licensing, I mean, when you're writing that sort of stuff, are you changing your lyrical approach for um, how you're writing for that as opposed to how you'd write for Pamela? Totally. Totally less. I'm way less precious with the lyrics because If the brief says we want something fun and bold and swaggery, and often they do, it's it's just less important to have like a beautiful metaphor or what is the exact right verb to express what I'm trying to say. Right. It's like, no, you're, I'm thinking about, you know, like, call the police and the fireman, make a, dragger want, a dragon want to retire, man. Like I'm thinking about like yeah. fun, up-tempo lyrics. And for, for whatever reason, I can just like bump that stuff out really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it like it come, the lyric side of that, of writing these songs for sync has come really easily. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. And, and interesting to hear about the different approach too. that. And of course, like for your own stuff, you would uh, sit there over every verse and metaphor and whatever. But no, that's um, that's interesting. I've noticed, too. Oh, actually, no. Sorry. Backwards. Let's go back into the dueling pianos for a split second because we totally just jumped over that. And that is how we met. I I don't think we overlapped there at all. Right. I was gone. Before. I think you were gone already, but 
when I started, Kevin, your roommate at the time, I believe, was mm -hmm. still subbing a bunch. So I met him and then I think I heard about you through him or through John and Amy. And then yeah. eventually we like met at something. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> well, that um, was... I knew that you had like gone through training and like were I think the first time I saw you play, you played guitar and I was like, oh, he's a guitar player because you're really good at guitar. And then someone was like, oh, he's also a sick piano player. <laughs> and, a, and terrible at the dueling pianos. Game, <laughs> they probably mentioned too. Um, <laughs> well, it's a fun gig, uh, but it is interesting you brought it up because there's the financial part of it. Um, do you, I mean, if, if that's what you had to do, if that was going to be your income, would you, and, and, and that was it, like you, you're not, out doing your own music but hey you're doing the dueling pianos thing would you stay in the music business or would you go and do something else altogether hmm if so are you saying if that was the only thing that i did yeah if that's what if that was your thing in in the music biz if you were going to be a dueling pianist and you weren't writing your own songs and stuff too would you take that career path or would you get out and, and move into something else altogether? Wow. That's such an interesting question. I can't even conceive of not writing songs. I can't yeah. conceive of a world where that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think so given the right, set of gigs. I think working at a club full time every weekend was getting old for me. Yeah. Um, the hours are rough. If you're trying to have a semblance of a normal schedule on the other days and yeah, yeah I just felt, I sort of felt myself like, my soul withering away a little bit of like, oh, I have to like push this drunk person off the stage and play piano man for like the 700th time tonight, you know? Yeah. Um, I think doing the private events and going, even just like subbing at different clubs on different weekends is a lot more fun than just being in the same spot, like. Yeah. Absolutely. Weekend in and weekend out. So I think, and there's a lot of, it's cool to sort of like meet and talk with other duelers from around the country. And there's a lot of different types of things you can do. You can do the cruise thing. You can like freelance and do private events. There's, so I think that aspect of being able to bring it to different venues and have all those different experiences, like keeps it fresh. But I don't know. I think I think it's hard on your hearing. <laughs> Definitely. The reason I asked was, and and I I play uh, at a at a place down south of Denver now. It's not dueling pianos, but it's like a piano trio. I do three nights a week. But when I was doing that gig, my thinking was I'm I'm using this to practice for my songwriting and make money, of course, but. And I made tons of great friends. I mean, it's it was a, an incredible community of, of of people and players, and it was awesome. But 
when I was there every night, I was thinking, oh, I'm getting my ear better for my music. I'm learning a bunch of other people's songs, and I'm going to steal some of those chord ideas and some of those. If you had said to me, like, if, if that had been taken away and it was just the gig, I, I probably would have said, oh, I'm going to go do something else. I felt that exact way my whole first year at Howl. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm getting paid to learn all these songs. Like I'm going back to school right now for like <laughs> hit pop songwriting. Yeah. We're learning all the hits and like thinking about, and of course coming at it from like already being a songwriter, you're like, you sort of have that cap on and you're thinking about exactly what you said. What, what chord progression are they using here and like, can I cop that? Or like, what's working in the melody or, you know, why does everyone scream their lungs out to living on a prayer? Like, what's he doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, on that song, whenever I did that one, I was just relieved that everyone was screaming their lungs out because I never had to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so high for a man. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, think it's it's also like incredible performance practice. Like I was I was so grateful for that when I was working at Powerful Time that you just you must get on stage and do the show four nights a week, whatever shape you're in, and that will just kick your ass into a new level of like performance readiness. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, something else that you've been using um, to kind of build your community and your career is Patreon. And that's a platform that a lot of artists are getting on. Um, how is, I mean, what do you, what do you do on Patreon first off? I mean, what do you offer as your exclusive content? I offer a lot of new unreleased songs. So people are getting first listens to things that I just wrote like the night before or a week ago. Um, I'm also posting some of the songs that I'm recording and producing myself for sync. So mm. if you want to hear Pamela does a Bruno Mars style song, come join me on Patreon and you can hear that stuff. And if you want to hear me rap, same thing. <laughs> oh, man, you rap on your Patreon? I rap on this one song I did for my sync class. Awesome. I, yeah, it's, and someone was like, I didn't know you rapped. And I was like, me neither. <laughs> wow. Um, Patreon's awesome. I just, I love the community feeling of it and... I also sort of have this like, I'm not the biggest fan of social media, which unfortunately is like a large part of the job description of an indie artist these days. And I try to just take it less seriously and have fun with it. But I, I have like just sort of a lot of anxiety, like, oh, if I, if I post a 60 second cover to my Instagram. I got to like put my makeup on and look cute and get the camera and the lighting right. And there's all this sort of image stuff that I'm thinking about every time I post. And on Patreon, 
it is it's gone it's like the people who are here have like chosen to opt in and support me doing what i'm doing in my career and i can show up with my bare acne ridden face and sing them a song of a song i wrote last night and it i might not you know have it totally polished yet but like i'm excited about it and excited to share it and then i think that comes across you know that's that's where i wish i could be with my social media is just like really raw and authentic but i i have not figured out a way to to be that on social media is it un, is it just uncomfortable or or just trying to be trying to be yourself what is it that makes that difficult and i i it's very difficult for me too and i think a lot of people i think i'm always trying to be a combination of like professional but also cool like on instagram <laughs> like a booker might is gonna like check check out my socials right so i want to maintain a level of like professionalism but i also want to like come across as like young and hip and like doing the things right and getting the slang right and yeah so that it's it's a bit paralyzing because it's not just i'm gonna blog about whatever I'm feeling in the moment and put out a song that is not quite finished and just here it is. It's a lot harder for me to do that on socials than like on Patreon. And I think Patreon also is just a friend of mine, Heather Lynn, who's like, she's such an awesome, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, leader of like, sort of this like anti-capitalist way to be a musician and just way to be in the world. And she always talks about how Patreon is an example of that, of it's not just this sort of like transaction of, you know, go buy my song on iTunes, but, um, or excuse me, Apple Music now. <laughs> um, you know, we're having this like relationship and there's there's more than just the sort of quick transaction we're like getting to know each other and like interacting and yeah i mean i think there's there's a lot of vulnerability and like scariness that goes into just asking people for money even if like you are offering a thing that you feel is valuable and like people have expressed that they also find valuable. Yeah. You know, it's like I had, I've run two Kickstarters and the experience has always been like really awful and harrowing and Patreon has just felt a lot gentler and like friendlier than that. Mm. Mm. Well, what's I, <laughs> What's harrowing about the Kickstarter? I've never done one and I've been considering it and it scares the hell out of me. Um, I mean, what's, what was your experience with that? And with Patreon, I mean, what makes that gentler? Is it, are you able to build it fairly easily? Um, I mean, what's, I guess, chat about the two a little. Well, Kickstarter is an all or nothing platform. So you have to decide, you sort of have to decide what, you have to make an educated guess about how 
how much you think folks are going to give and what kind of reach you have with your fan base and what does your project cost and like what's a realistic number to set it at and then you're like sweating until you get the goal met because it's all or nothing and i think that's that to me is the root fear is like what if i do not hit that whatever number i set it at and i've seen it happen to musician friends where like they don't make the kickstarter goal and it's like my heart always like goes out to them of like oh my god that that's the fear <laughs> yeah yeah i think there's other platforms you can do a crowdfunding campaign like indiegogo or there used to be like pledge music where it's not all or nothing it's like you keep what people pledge yeah um where there would sort of be less of like that anxiety um with patreon yeah it's exactly what you said it's it's a slow build for me it's like another way to help build a sustainable income and like have a deeper connection with fans and um be able to just sort of share more frequently with the people who are like really interested in the content you're sharing yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um and you're talking about this stuff you're posting up on patreon um these different genres of songs that you're doing i was going to ask if we could play a song off of something simple at the end of the podcast but what would be really cool if it was allowed is if we could play a song off something simple at the beginning and then at the end do one of these sync things or these self-produced things you've been doing because i think everyone would love to hear one of those songs sure. and, and hear yeah, the difference that would that totally works it'll be it'll be night and day <laughs> oh my gosh that's that's really cool and, and it'll be interesting um just to hear the difference hear what it sounds like when you're writing for yourself and when you're writing for someone else i think i think approaches is fascinating um with artists and and so that's really cool um let's see what else we could oh i wanted to ask you this random question when i as, as an as also a piano playing songwriter anytime i play anywhere in front of anybody i get like you remind me of billy joel you remind me of ben folds and that stuff's fine because I know that that's the only association. Although I don't really like Billy Joel that much. I know that's sa I know sacrilegious. <gasps> I know he's okay. I was at a Billy Joel concert with you one time. I know, I know, I know. And Allie and I looked at each other halfway through and like, it's okay. Um, I'm supposed <laughs> to not, love. That was Bill not my experience at that show. <laughs> I'm supposed to love Billy Joel. I know, I know. But and he has some great stuff, and I think he's a wonderful musician and songwriter. But for whatever reason. I don't listen to him and feel my soul get crushed. I just say, oh, he's really great at what he does. But anyway, besides the point, I, that happens every time, whenever I pull out the piano. Do you get those same two? Or, I mean, what, what do you get when that happens? I get both of those a lot. And actually, both of those should, should have been on my list at the top about songwriters who've had, like, a massive influence on me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love both of them so much. <laughs> yeah. I grew up with Billy Joel. Like, I think my uncle had been really into him in like the 80s. And so we had like 
his greatest hits volumes one and two. And my brother and I listened to the, we wore those out. So that was like a very young formative songwriter for me. Um, And Ben Folds, I came to more like in college and then just like fell in love with and like learned all the songs. Um, I do get those comparisons a lot. I I think more often I'll get Carole King Mm. um, or Sarah Bareilles um, or Nora Jones. I also love. I love Nora Jones. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just because I'm a lady and we've got, there's a little bit more of that. I think both Ben and Billy are a little bit more rock and roll in their songwriting and like their style of playing. Yeah. Yeah. And you've spent time, I was following on on Facebook, I think is where you're posting it but I get all the platforms mixed up. You, you've you been doing like studies on artists. Um, and I know you've done Billy Joel and Stevie Wonder and, and some others where you've studied their songs and then written a song and the style of them, you know, at the end of your month. Is there any crazy insights that you got out of, out, say, let's take Billy Joel. Are there any crazy insights you got out of studying him and listening to his music nonstop for a month? Yes. And make me a Billy Joel fan. Even... Sorry, what's that? I said, make me a Billy Joel fan. Here's your chance. Ah! <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to like look at my notes because I know I put notes in the YouTube video I put up of my Billy Joel style song about sort of my main takeaways. I think I was even, I started thinking he was, I started the month loving his music and thinking he was an amazing songwriter. And I came away like with that opinion threefold. I think his, I listened to his autobiography or his, a biography someone else had written of him that he like did a lot of interviews for. There's a lot of like sort of firsthand storytelling in it. And his personal life was like, he definitely did some crazy shit and had had his his issues and things like that. Um, but I think my main takeaways are his, he is like a master of melody and not just in his vocal melodies. Like I feel like his bass lines are like beautiful and melodic. Mm. Um, he has, I love, 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 love his chord progressions. He has like, even think about like scenes from an Italian restaurant, like how many keys does he go through? And it's so seamless. And we just keep like ending up in these different unexpected places. I love that about his chord progressions. Like things go to a place you wouldn't expect, but in like, it's not in a jarring way. Like he gets there really elegantly. Yeah. Um, I think his use of like, ha- like switching back and forth between like half time and double time is really cool. Like he uses that really effectively in a lot of songs. Um, 
Yeah, I just think, I think his, if I were to say maybe what his, like as a songwriter, maybe his weakness is lyrics. Like, I feel like that's, he's so, so good at like melody and chord progressions and like the, the craft of the song. Yeah. That maybe and his lyrics, like he has some great lyrics, but sometimes they're like just okay. Yeah, sure. And I think there's just a lot of there's a lot of humanity in his songs. They're they feel very relatable, even to, you know, someone like myself who is like growing up in a different generation and like I'm not a dude and like there's you know we have these sort of different life experiences and yet i feel like so many of his songs like so hard yeah yeah no that's great and i think it's very interesting that that you've done that with so many artists and always when i see those posts I'm like oh that's so cool um but well, it's been it's been great. I've chatting. fallen off posting them. I need to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's super cool thing. I enjoyed I enjoyed following them, and and um, it made me it made me envious. I was like, damn, I need to do something like that. Um, but it's been great having you on, and uh, you know, everybody go check out Pamela Makula's music. Something simple came out October thirtieth, twenty twenty. But it was just we just had the release show, so it's brand new. Um, she also has When I Get Home from 2015 and Golden Delicious from way back in 2012 um, and she plays all over Colorado go check it out alright that's my conversation with Pamela Makula great catching up with her and uh, hopefully we'll do a co-write soon hang out catch up some more um, but great songs great conversation and to jump back to the very beginning of the episode, we listened to Leave You Alone. And I know I requested uh, to listen to something, you know, as we were t as we were talking about near the end, uh, some of the stuff she does for her Patreon channel or some of the kind of different stuff that she does. And she did. She sent me uh, a track called I Trust Myself. And we're going to use that to play out the episode. I love it. Have a great week. Questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, death threats, send them to me, middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll chat with you next week. Thanks so much. No, I'm good. Can't you tell? Because I trust myself. No, I'm good. Can't you tell? Because I trust myself.